0: Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited for this afternoon. Special guest, Dr. Janet Miller, is uh, with me here on Fukun Conversation. We're gonna get into it right now. I'm gonna ask her, uh, Janet, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I, I know I that hope was you. A... Are too. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am. I'm doing
0: well, and I, I missed out because I know that there was a session at the American Education Research Association, the recent conference in Chicago. And I really wanted to go back because it seems like things have opened up even more. So this year was the first time that I traveled back to start attending conferences in in the United States. I went to Bergamo and it, it had been so long since I've gone to Bergamo and visit with everyone. And I was hoping to go to... ARA uh, to attend and, and celebrate that special uh, session that celebrated your work in life. And I was just wondering, how was that in terms of getting together with everyone in Chicago?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was truly wonderful. I was, uh, I think, like all of us, uh, because of the, I think, still ongoing pandemic, we've been apart for so long that... This year at AERA, it was, I think, very well attended. And it was almost, everyone talked about this, uh, a little overwhelming because there were so many people all of a sudden. <laughs> that was just interesting to try and watch how I felt about it. A little mm-hmm. fear, a little uh, just sort of amazement that we could all come back. To, and, you know, I'm talking in general terms here, but come back and just be really happy to see each other and sort of pick right up where we were and exploring all kinds of issues, I think generated by the pandemic in particular around our work. How has all of that, I mean, you know, the pandemic and it's uh, still ongoing iterations affected the work we do because I think it has dramatically. um, That was one sense of AERA that I had this year, Um, the session organized by David Carlson, and you know, you know, about the book was, it was overwhelming to me, even though this may sound ridiculous. I am shy about things like that, especially. But the panel was terrific. It was a large panel, because David ended up inviting anyone who wanted to speak and that was actually terrific and i saw a lot of a lot of my students were there across the years and just people from curriculum studies but also colleagues from teachers college it was wonderful and i did not do a good job at all at thanking everyone they ran over time and so (laughs) then you know we were supposed to get out of this you know room (laughs) And there were a lot of people, and people just kept coming up. I could send you a photo or two, but I wished I had been able to be more eloquent in how I attempted to thank you all. So. Yeah.
0: I did I did see some photos that were were shared. Yeah, and it looked I, I, I mean, it looked well well attended of uh, many familiar faces that I know uh, and have known over the years.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that wasn't everybody. A lot of, you know, <laughs> they kept trying to shoo us out of the room. Oh, you know no. that, right?
0: It was like,
1: <laughs> "Nah, we're just going to stand here, you know." So <laughs> it was it was terrific and I was I'm deeply honored and grateful i really am well i I
0: do want to ask you about uh your work in the field of curriculum studies and your work as a as a i don't know if i'd say well and after reading some of your earlier works i don't know if you'd ever label yourself as a former english teacher i think maybe always an english teacher in the making but i wanted uh, just to come back Mm -hmm. before we delve into that you know we've all experienced the pandemic in different ways and i just wondering how that experience has been for you. I know we we wanted to, and we tried to touch base, I think maybe even at the start of the pandemic, to, to, to right. invite you to come on Fookin Conversation. Um, and at that time, I know you had different family obligations and we're also mm-hmm. trying to cope with the pandemic and transitioning in your life uh, from, I, th- I think at the time you were transitioning from finishing up uh, in terms of the work that you were doing at, at Columbia and at Teachers College and then, deciding what you were gonna do or where you were gonna be for your retirement. So I, I'm, I'm sensing, or I'm thinking back to that time when I invited you, you had a lot of stuff going on. And I'm just wondering how was that context in relation to then encountering the pandemic and now you know for the past three years, I'm curious you know, what you've been up to.
1: I found it very difficult. I would, I would say uh, I spent most of the pandemic in a very isolated situation. And while I'm able to be alone and you know do well with that and keep myself busy, I kept myself busy by, I can't believe it, but I've finished being chair of 10 doctoral students' dissertations and bringing them to fruition for their dissertation defenses. I still have one more left. <laughs> that really kept me busy. And so even though I was actually fairly isolated, the work I was doing with each of my students uh, was a uh, actually such a gift some some people said, "What are you nuts you're you know uh, finishing up people that you know you're not obligated to do, but you know that's not how I see work with my doc students. It's not an obligation, it's an ethical relationship I think and you know I gave them the choice I said, you know choose someone else if you wish, obviously and it was like. Okay, so that's where we, so that They're, can be very busy. They were like,
0: no, you you need to finish with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. You <laughs> really do need to finish now. So, um, I've got, you know, this one last one. And, and um, I don't know. I, I, I think that's going to be another transition for me uh, when I have, you know, zero doc students from Teachers College. It feels not right. So I'm I, I'm still... I have to say, struggling with it um, on, on those levels, but I am, oh gosh, I am trying to finish a very, very late-to-the-publisher book on Maxine Green. It's part of an invitational okay. book series with Routledge on what they call key thinkers, and so I'm trying to think. Deborah Britzman did a book on Freud, of course, uh, Jean Anion did one on Marx. Stephen Ball did Foucault. You know that kind of thing. So I got very interrupted in the pandemic with just, yeah, partly an element of fear about it. Uh, I must admit, and then my doc student work and, uh, you know, family family issues and obligations. So now I'm really really trying to finish this book. I goodness knows if they'll still publish it. I'm so late.
0: I remember when we were chatting some no, some time ago that you were sharing that you were doing these interviews with uh, Maxine Greene. Is this part of it and part of that book? Mm-mm. No?
1: It's not. Maxine asked me to write her biography. Okay. And so for, you know, I've known her since, you know, I first heard her speak in 1973 at the heightened consciousness conference I, you know, when I was a master student of Bill Pienaar, mm. so I first spoke with her mostly in terror on my part <laughs> um, in ni- 1974 at the pre-Bergamo conferences we would call them. This one was in Cincinnati, uh, so uh, we've known Maxine and I knew each other a very long time, and you know, I lived in New York for 40 years total. Spent. 20 of those years at Teachers College. Um, That gave us, gave me wonderful access to talking to Maxine in all kinds of contexts over the years. So will there be a biography of her? That would be my next project, I guess. It's terrifying. And even though she's no longer with us, I still hear her voice. I still hear her, her mandates about what we all should do, because, you know, she definitely was, had mandates about how we should take action in the world and Mm. her, you know, her existential phenomenological uh, positionings on things, deeply influenced by Sartre. So those are my projects coming up. So those interviews I did with her, we have about two years of transcribed recordings where we would just sit and talk and we would record it. Because that's what she wanted, and and then if you read the transcripts, they're really funny. Because of course it's just all over the place. Um, she was just astounding in in terms of well her brilliance, but boy, it was hard to keep up with what she was reading. Excuse me, what you know, what plays she had seen, what what movies, what did I think of Dancing with the Stars, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So she would just roll, you know, cultural, you know, social, cultural issues in, but always around her her convictions about we've got to take action in this world to make things better, you know, to repair, she always said. It
0: almost sounds like uh, Walter Benjamin, it could be like Walter Benjamin's uh, Arcade's project in in many ways. Terrifying,
1: Uh, just absolutely (laughs) terrifying. Yes, that's what I want to do. And then, you know, I've also got this book that has been hanging out and it's almost done, but now I think I have to revise it quite a bit. It's my ideas, you know, theorizings about curriculum communities without mm-hmm. consensus. Um, and you
0: touch, so you you are, I mean, you've touched on that uh, for some time now, the curriculum communities without consensus. And I, I was just wondering... Mm-hmm your work when when i'm reading your work there's the two things well there's more than two things that come out but one is the attention to the historical context of the field of study of curriculum studies and, and you clearly articulate like look this is from my perspective as mm-hmm. much as i remember there's a certain amount of forgetting but the, here's what i bring the other uh, aspect mm-hmm. is the writing and uh, mm-hmm. whether that's uh, your piece in terms of in english uh Teach, you know English in the making or English teacher in the making and I've been I've been trying to think through that work in terms of curriculum theory in the making or a curriculum theorist in the making and mm-hmm. your your mm-hmm. work your historical work really provides a, a detailed account of thinking about a certain way of thinking about the field of curriculum studies mm-hmm. in the making that it looks at so I was, why is the historical context uh it seems to me always resonated with you in terms of the work or the stories that you've shared through your writings. What What's drawn you to providing those different mm-hmm. historical accounts over time and the different writings that you've put forth?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point and question. I, th- I think part of it is influenced by Maxine, uh, frankly, in terms of her insistence on with her doctoral students, for example, you know, knowing the histories, if you will, of different philosophical uh, positionings and you know theoretical angles, but I also think um without romanticizing the past, I have one piece called "Nostalgia for the Future," <laughs> where I uh, am talking about the Bergamo conferences. I th- I think that was a key- you know one of the keynotes yes. that I did there and. I think it was the 30th anniversary, I'm not quite sure.
0: Yeah, I know uh, several people said that really, that concept really resonated with them.
1: No, ah, good. Uh, yeah, and I worked really hard on that because it's you, It's happened in the U.S. field, and I'm curious if you would, would, would find a parallel in Canada. Here in the U.S., you know, there's been, in much more recent years, really big pushbacks against you know that which came before in terms of the studies field and even though i think a number mm-hmm. of us very early on were writing about and really deeply thinking about difference and that includes iterations you know descriptions of the past and so how to how to help students And curriculum studies participants, you know, who care about this field, that frankly in the U.S. is being kind of decimated by teacher getting subsumed into teacher education programs. There are very few jobs in the United States now that call for curriculum studies persons. It's much more teacher education oriented. And unfortunately, it's it's the same version of teacher education most often that I describe in that... English education in the making. You know, a very standards-driven, you know, the whole thing. It, its Read about and learn about the past without reifying it, glorifying it. Mm. Certainly, you know, in the terms of, like, say, the reconceptualization, which is always my context primarily. Did we think of everything? No. Did we address every issue? Absolutely not. But there are... Very early threads in that work that are really trying to grapple with. I quote from Toni Morrison in that from that absolutely incredibly gorgeous book, Playing in the Dark. Uh, It's responsibility. It's the sweaty fight for meaning and responsibility, and to try and I'm trying to always apply that in relation to my sometimes abrupt reactions to like say hearing papers at Bergamo or AERA or wherever uh, that uh, speak as if nothing happened that was good (laughs) that which came before so so how not to romanticize it you know that nostalgia for the future piece I, I really tried to grapple with that you know it's not a how to how to Talk about what happened, quote unquote, which is always an interpretation in the reconceptualization, especially in the US. You know, from my standpoint, that's my context and interests. Without romanticizing, without really falling into yeah. those holes of what Tony Morrison points out in terms of, you know, the polluted imagination <laughs> the the ways in which it's not all of these are just simply interpretations of what happened in the past, but they are filled with perhaps deeply racist or, or deeply misogynist or deeply you name it um, without being interrogated. And I, and of course those things existed in the work that was done, but there was also other work that I tried to that I cl- I clung to, frankly. <laughs> And this will, I mean, how, how I did so was pretty much delving into the feminist literatures, you know, of the moment. And I still do in terms of really trying to see what these feminists who were at work, mostly philosophers, but not always, uh, or a philosopher of science like Donna Haraway, to try and keep what Toni Morrison pointed out to me so 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 vividly uh, in terms of the daily fight for meaning and responsibility and how those are constructions and how not to reify them and how to be fluid and flexible with the next next iteration of what happens in the classroom that really is absolutely filled with difference like that kind of thing it is really difficult work and I think I think the other reason that I, you know, have written those pieces that are, I guess you would call them historical in nature, I was just simply trying to make sense for myself, even though I never did, of what I was living through. As we moved from the, you know, what we'll call the pre-Bergamo, I've been, I've been at all of them, <laughs> the pre-Bergamo conferences at you know, University of Rochester, University of Virginia, Loyola University in Cincinnati, I mean, all of them. And then founding of JCT in Bergamo, Um And that first, those first two conferences uh, at the early house in uh, right outside Washington, D.C., which we later found out used to be a plantation. And the rooms had been, con- the slave quarters had been converted into rooms. And so We got out of there as quickly as we could (laughs) um anyway you know that in and of itself you know that description of the early you know two years in terms of Mm -hmm. what we we didn't know ahead of time what this used to be
0: (laughs) what i find uh compelling in the the way in which you story that trying to making sense of what you were experiencing is situating your your own subject position in relation to kind of the micro con macro context in terms of what each of you individually but then also as a community were are experiencing within the larger macro co- political context of the united states uh or even if it was in relation to policy making for teacher ed and or poly or reform mm-hmm. na- n- national reform yeah. whether that's with jf uh, kennedy and uh, And then every other president that brought a national agenda to, you know, restructuring, rethinking how education might be taken Mm up. Just to, 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 yeah, I would say uh, it's similar, similar context in Canada in terms of there's now pockets of curriculum studies at different universities in terms of departments and programs and a lot of strength uh, there's I, uh, to me there's still a lot of strength in terms of the universities that are here and then uh, uh still i would say a vibrant association the canadian association of curriculum studies still one of the largest associations part of the canadian society for the study of education it is a lot more difficult to actually go online and find positions that are framed uh, with curriculum in the title or curriculum studies uh, per se what i'm finding now in my role as a vice dean of grad studies that universities are all like the university of Ottawa is really responsible for funding different tenure track positions. So now positions are created around Mm -hmm. a research Mm -hmm. profile or portfolio that might connect to the different programs that exist in a, in a faculty that could be linked to teacher ed, but not necessarily always the case that there's, there's not, there, there might be a, a bit of a looser connection. So I don't know if that's different or similar in the United States. And if we're heading down that way here, a little bit more. But i and I'm speaking specifically for the University of, of Ottawa and Ontario. Mm-hmm. That could be different mm-hmm. in in other provinces.
1: Same thing across I guess the US, of course, you know. For example, I mean I would say in the US the two the two universities that are most affiliated with curriculum studies would be of course LSU and the curriculum theory project. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a book out yeah about their Thirty years of existence. I just got your My heart copy today, yeah.
0: Janet, in the yeah. in the mail.
1: <laughs> I, I mean you've lived yeah, it. right? And you wrote you've a
0: beautiful preface,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah, thank you. Well, I think it's very important. Um, that kind I mean, there's there's history there and there's a reason to know yeah. those histories without reifying them. I mean, that's always gonna be my angle in terms of like okay. This happened and this, and and then I think as chair of the session, I was listening and then I thought, how to take this whole book, you know, that has just been, you know, released and read it with that sweaty fight for meaning and responsibility, you know, through the whole thing. It's a great piece of work, I think, and it's a a really an astounding record. I must say, uh, not just because of you that I'm talking with you, but I think the graduates of that program over the many years have really formed sort of the pillars of the current field. Do you know what I mean? In other words, there's so many of you, uh, many of whom are doing exactly what you're doing now which you've moved into this what is it vice dean is it called um
0: yeah vice dean of grad studies so there's yeah and different leadership positions. now when i see uh fellow grad students we're we're there you know i'm thinking of roland as dean at uh Uh lsu and there's so many um you know brian i know brian was uh, doing some administrative work uh as well rita yeah
1: denise um, yeah denise just took a dean position uh, as well uh just yeah Yes, yeah. what, why are curriculum theorists becoming the so,
0: deans and <laughs> vice deans? <what's... laughs>
1: well, I think a lot, a lot yeah. of you know, like Fran Huckabee is in uh, a administrative uh, uh, position yeah. yeah, and I think um, it's a really interesting angle to explore yeah. together. You know, what's and I think, I, I think in some ways it's it's very hopeful if you have any abilities to influence the kinds of call for new hires and how you would frame those. I don't know angles of all of your, your different administrative duties, but in yeah. a way, there's a hope for me, you know, as I, look, as I look around. So, you know, and then the other, I'll just say the other thing, uh, the other program in the United States I would point to is Hong Yu Wang's new doctoral program in curriculum studies that she finally... After going through eighty-five thousand million, oh, no. <laughs> Oklahoma state, state of Oklahoma, can you imagine uh, requirements? You know, on how to get a new program up yeah. and running. She's done it. She's done it. It's up and running. That, um, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: I know because it's not easy to get a, a doctoral program because it has to be approved at least here in Ontario uh, by the the university ministry of uh, uh, colleges and universities or university and colleges. So it's not a it's, it is a long process yep. to get that done and you need everyone in the faculty on board exactly.
1: and, yeah, uh, a,
0: and to do that. It's a, yeah. Just to come back to what you said about the historical context as well as the pushing back and reading. Yeah, right. For me, what the, your work and the work of different scholars at the uh, Curriculum Theory Project, like whether it was uh, you know, Bill's work or Petra's, uh, Denise Giacunni, Claudia Eppert, Nina Asher, mm-hmm. Bill Dahl, and so many mm-hmm. others it colleagues it was to look back at different historical context and try to understand the impacts of those in relation to the present circumstances but also to bring different kinds of lenses to it and one of the things in your work that mm-hmm. you know you mentioned phenomenology but also I, I tried to read everything you wrote when i was a grad student to try to understand well what how might i unlearn mm-hmm. like hypermasculinity or patriarchy through a feminist theoretical framework and trying to understand oneself through an autobiographical research methodology mm-hmm. and so I don't know there's the macro context where there's different kinds of pushing back so you see like in the United States like there's a pushing back from the right and national you know populist right. movements that's going on in Canada but at the, it? yeah it's really it is yeah it is here yeah. as well and like so you know if you're challenging certain th- things you're part you're part of the woke uh, League of social justice warriors that's out there to do, that perhaps address the things that Maxine Green's asking us to do or calling on us to do. But there's also this uh, a generation that are looking to not only our own field in terms of, and I think maybe that's a sign of maturity, like when a nation's able to question its past and, and, and be critical of it. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering too, maybe the field of curriculum studies reached a certain maturity where it was, there was a readiness perhaps to bring some critical lenses to. So, not, I would, and I would differentiate between being critical of the colleagues that helped to create the field of study versus, hey, yeah. how might we juxtapose different kinds of readings of our lived experiences? And I just, I, I, you know, you outline that yes. in that piece. You say, I'm just going to read a short piece to say, um, for it's the very concept of a situated and this constantly changing sweaty fight for meaning and responsibility that points to the field of English education as always in the making. And you go on to say, English education can be conceived as in the making in the sense of, that our knowledges as well as our teaching and learning selves are always framed, influenced, and changed by specific and differing contexts. It, and it is in the making in the sense that our pedagogical and professional selves in part Because we must respond to differing, changing contexts and students are always unfinished and incomplete. And so, you know, I mean, I guess that's the messiness is in terms of curriculum studies as a field and its story uh, towards, you know, right now and moving to is always the process of being incomplete and unfinished. So I don't know. So like, yeah, so how do you, for me, it's like that question you raised about the nostalgia of, of the past and kind of reading it differently is... I mean, even coming back and reading this piece, it, you were addressing that kind of stuff even at the time um, that you wrote this piece.
1: Yes. You know, thank you. And I think it's the most difficult work we do uh, that we must do, all of us. And, you know, we've got how many generations now of curriculum studies people? <laughs> um, in the United States, you know, the field started in the, back in the 1920s uh, as an administrative role. And... You know, since then, if you, if you look back to the work of Tyler, of course, uh, but I, I was lucky, I was so lucky to study with Paul Clure and at The Ohio State University and, and with Don Bateman in English education. And when I began my doctoral studies in the early 1970s, Don was reading Frere's Pedagogy of the Oppressed and uh, students were just devouring it uh, and Don, you know, had moved into a very, if you will, quote-unquote, critical phase of his career. Paul Paul taught me not only the value but the imperatives of knowing histories of the past. He was an astounding human being and uh, he was a voracious reader and so you know, he would come into the curriculum theory seminar, doctoral thing that was just ongoing, if you will, and and my colleagues were Craig Freidell and Paul Shaker and Lee Charlotte and uh, Bob Bullock, and that was an amazing confluence of people too, who were willing, who were willing to look beyond the sort of blatant assumptions. Of the field in its past in the U.S. in the United States as as well as in the you know the current times in which we were studying as doctoral students in the 1970s and then moving into you know all kinds of positions across the country and and Paul was adamant that one has to know the past. This is where I mean these are almost his these are his words really. You you must know the histories of the past. And it was always plural, right? Histories are plural because there are a, a zillion interpretations of what happened, you know, that kind of thing. And read, read extensively, you know, read extensively across all of those so that you have a sense not of a whole field, uh, you know, fully formed field at all. But where are the gaps and silences? Where are the things that are not yet addressed? That's the best way I can put it the gaps and silences you know that's a feminist construction across you know all the reading i was doing doing in feminisms um
0: i had a chance to meet uh paul clore i can't remember which Bergamo. i mean it was one of the first ones i went to and then bill and i Uh went over to his place and met met him um briefly just sat and had i can't remember if we had coffee or tea or something just Chatted. And yeah. He was real curious about what my interests were in the field. I'm like I had no clue because I had just started. I'm like I don't know what the field of curriculum no studies <laughs> or where yeah. I'm heading. There's this other piece. I just wonder if we could. I'm really interested in your thoughts about writing and teaching writing. And you wrote a piece in again. Um, this was in uh, uh, let's see, English education. You wrote it in uh, 1983. It was in volume 15. Issue number one, uh, search for congruence, influence of past and present right. future teacher concepts about teaching writing. And I really enjoyed the way, uh, for one, you yeah. frame it as a case study. and I wonder what you think about case studies today. But this is a case study that you did with student teachers, T- Tina, mm-hmm. Jim, and Peter, and the way in which you framed it and what you were interested in. And I, th- I thought mm-hmm. what was so pertinent was you asked them to think about, and even yourself, about, different writing moments or like narratives or scenes while they were in elementary school that everyone, including yourself, had a diff- difficulty trying to think back to, you know, how did I learn how to write in a certain way or what were the different ways of learning how to write? And then the self-concept of teachers in relation to becoming uh, English teachers or or, or seeing themselves as the capacity to teach writing in different ways and really mm-hmm. and questioning what were their frustrations in relation to revisiting their past, like that movement going back to think about how did they experience the teaching of writing? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I read that piece, I think it was yesterday and it really resonated in terms of thinking about, for me, that this essay is so important, even I would say for doctoral studies is to think about, you know, how do you learn to write as a doctoral student? Who, t- who taught you yeah. how to write? And then because we're asked, like you said, I can't believe it. Like you said you had been working with uh, 10 students over the last few years to see them finish. And in many ways, it's, it's working with uh, students in terms of writing a certain way. So, yeah. Yeah. So what brought like, I mean, how did you come to this work? And, you know, I'm raising it today. I'm not sure how you think about it now. And, and, and how do you think about writing overall or how you've thought of writing over your career in relation to, the, for example, the doctoral Absolutely. students that you were supporting? Mm-hmm. Uh, over the course of the pandemic,
1: I I love this angle that you've picked up. I think it comes out of my own. In the beginnings, you know, that's a that's a long time ago. That nineteen eighty three article. Oh, that's why I and love I,
0: it. That's why I love it, Janet. It's yeah, I know,
1: I know. and I I love it too. Uh, I I can remember those students. I, I I know exactly what they look like. I know how they sat in my office. I can hear their voices still. It's amazing. I think my whole interest as an English teacher in the beginning where I felt totally unprepared to teach high school juniors and seniors. I mean, I felt, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I I made it up, you know, in the moment and I was teaching in New York state, obviously, and I talk about, you know, what it meant to teach for the regents uh, so that kids could pass this regents exam at the end of the year. That would allow them to get a regents diploma in New York State and go to college. That was what was required then. Partly, I became so interested in my student teachers and how they were struggling uh, to make sense. And they, you know, I wasn't teaching the seminar, the t- student teaching seminar. These were just students I had in my, you know, my classes. Um, yeah. My regular classes. Um, which really did, of course, involve around English education in the beginning. And uh, I, I think it, <laughs> how they agreed to even work with me was that I just basically told them, I'm a very slow writer. I'm extremely slow. Do not do what I do. Do what I tell you, to do. <laughs> which is just blat it out, blat it out. Do not stop and revise every sentence. Do not, you know, you will go back and think about all of this in ways that you can interrogate what your assumptions are here, your expectations, you know, your biases. You can interrogate all of that, but just blat it out, because I can't do that. I labor over every sentence. It's ridiculous. Hmm. I mean, and I, so I just, you know, I finally just had to be honest with all my students, including, excuse me, my doc students, blat it out, just, you can go back and revise, you know, after you just get your ideas out there and see if they can hold in some kind of tension with each other rather than, you know, complementary ideas, you know, building on it. I was always, I was always talking about looking for the tensions in what you are addressing in your writing. The tensions, it, it really is, and that's why I just absolutely am so in love with playing in the dark, uh, because that's what she's talking about, really. It's the tensions in the writing. It's the tensions mm. in the perceptions, and it's the that's what a fight for meaning and responsibility that has filled every line of literature in the U.S. that is, makes it impossible, pollutes the imagination of white, hmm white writers, you know, that she's talking about and, and the absolute inability and refusal to acknowledge the Africanist presence. That is so powerful. And in 1983, you know, I, that wasn't yet part of my reading uh, and study, but there was some way in which I was always trying to talk with them about the tensions, the you troubled the it. You, you say
0: uh, again here. If you just let me read for mm-hmm. a second, it, it it became clear as we shared memories and tried to trace our awakening interests in the composing process that some of our present frustrations and confusions about the teaching of composition might be linked to an experimental writing vacuum. Lack of integrated writing experiences in our early schooling years could have stunted our development as writers and as teachers of writing. And the distinction that you make and the in the conversations that you have with the with the with them and then the distinctions that you make in the piece itself between the composing process versus the the writing itself and just i just really appreciated that I, you'd hear writing composition for example but the 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 opportunity to compose something to me really resonates and i I I think it carries back over. And that's I trying to make sense of English in the making as going back to what Paul Clore asked of me when I was with Bill, like what I wish I had had a better answer. and said, I'm a I'm a curriculum theorist in the making, trying to understand what curriculum theorizing is in the making as a form of com of, of as a form of composing. Maybe if I had read these two pieces, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have been able to give them maybe a better answer at that point in time. But I yeah. still see, yeah. So there's something there in terms of of the writing process. So yeah, and 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 so you you've you've worked on in 1983 on this piece, and then that later piece in 2000, and in between there have published pieces on thinking about autobiographical writing. And so I'm wondering what the interconnection is between or the relationships between um, the autobiographical work you mm-hmm. took up, and then the the kind of the and I again I don't know if it's uh, Rather like from a, a, an ontological perspective like the or an ontological way of being in terms of a feminist approach or maybe ontopistemological or, or was it a just a here's my political stance and and then trying to make sense through writing how we might bring feminism to autobiographical writing or is it the autobiographical writing and autobiographical literature that helped you move through that? I just asked you about ten questions in one right there <laughs>
1: I think I think it would one. It's not a full answer, of course, but I think um, even by the let's see, that one piece is '83, and then uh, I was I was getting pretty immersed in in feminist literatures, and um, like 1992,
0: you wrote exploring power and authority issues in a collaborative research project yeah, is one example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, so so Butler published, you know, Gender Trouble in what I think originally in nineteen ninety, yeah, and that for you know many many people in the U.S. especially uh, sort of put everything upside down. You know, it was like oh my gosh, uh, and but I but I have to even go back to Paul Kloor and and Don Bateman in English Ed. Um, Who both, uh, even through my dissertation writing process, kept saying, "There are no, you're not striving to answer in in any definitive way. You're you're striving to interrogate that which you are examining." Hmm. I remember that so vividly from both of them, and that, you know, (laughs) that was. Way before, in a certain sense, uh, you know, anything like Butler came along that I that I ended up reading and devouring or that kind of thing. And her work since then, you know, uh, what's the name of her two thousand and five book, Senses, Senses of the Self? Is that the title? Anyway, anyway, influences so that so that uh, I never in my uh, my English classes in high school had any teacher who said writing is a process except for my final English teacher in high school who's, who did say that and so I, oh dear this is really hard I graduated from high school in 1962 mm. <laughs> and uh, Betsy Beidler I think I mentioned somewhere in in my writing my English teacher, had started to talk about writing as a process and had had us working in this, in these more undefined ways. Because what happened across the United States with the whole writing, you know, the whole Lucy Culkin's, um, you know, writing, writing as process, you know, writing is making meaning, you know, all that got um, codified into specific steps so here's the writing process first you brainstorm and then you do a rough draft I mean and it got reified into this you know step-by-step thing and destroyed it all right (laughs) so
0: very very prescriptive
1: yeah very and so I think all of that was going on for me and you know trying to trying to grapple with it all and and always looking for the the gaps and the silences, it's such a good phrase, isn't it? In terms of like, what's yeah. what are the tensions here? Or I would often, you know, write as well as examine and research, you know, in terms of that notion of tensions, of irresolvable tensions, which means there are a variety then, aren't there, of different ways of conceiving and working around whatever particular, you know, issue we were addressing. So goes all the way back to how I learned to write um, very, very uh, phonics, um, and then uh, you know reading writing uh, are I think inseparable actually. a lot of phonics and then a lot of um, not even process writing, just simply write your little essay, write a you know, write an essay about you know the book you read, right, you know that kind of thing. And so Betsy Beidler, my senior high school English teacher, was the first person who had ever sort of pried it open and said, look, there are lots of ways to do this. You don't have to just do one, two, three kind of thing. So my student teachers in that 83 piece had different experiences about learning to write, most of them negative. (laughs) And if you really, I don't know if you've done this at all to talk to students it's such a great question you know how did you learn to write you know or how did you learn to read um and so many people i have found Uh, fall back into this yeah well it was a it was a step-by-step thing so
0: i just taught a contemporary issues in uh in education a doctoral seminar and part of the, the final essay for the course is the students they have to do after they graduate after they graduate after they finish the semester they transition to write writing their comprehensive exams and uh, an essay and we talked about what I tried to stress with them is to think about the the writing is something that you keep coming back to like and to get away from the writing of a final essay for a course and then like you're done and then you submit it and you never come back to it so it's like how can you have this recursive coming back to your writing and your thinking and your thinking through writing. So it's about this kind of interconnection, interplay yeah. doing that and that can we not worry about writing for a grade, but more think about where you start the course, identify what's working, what's not working for. And then how can we work together over the course of 12 weeks to be in a different place than when you came in terms of where you're at in your writing and, and to kind of uh, create a, uh, the different paints or learn how to mix the different paints if you will to bring it together and it's something um difficult for the the students at first i hope uh, like i hope it, it's not as difficult yeah. by the end and it helps them along the way but uh, you know like you too i'm uh, i'm a slow slow writer it take i can think it takes me a long time to think about things and then once i think i've figured well, out no, things me too, I
1: can me start, too. It start to write. uh, it,
0: yeah. uh I was such a poor writer though going into, I remember going and that's the other thing, having English teachers. So Bill at LSU, there's you. um, And my way of learning how to write academically or to try to think about it was just by mimicking. So reading, reading. And then if I saw something I like, I'm like, okay, how can I, that's like a neat way that they did that. And that's a neat way that they've done this. How can I try to incorporate that into
1: mine? I think think you're describing... uh absolutely what would characterize I think most I don't know if it's most people certainly me I think the course you just described your students sounds terrific I find it I don't know if you find it the uh I find a lot of resistance in the beginning like with doctoral students you know it's like all right how do I do this dissertation you know and and I have to have a theoretical framework and I have to have a methodology, you know, la, la, la. And it's like, all right, let's, how can we relax all of this and a real resistance to it? <laughs> uh, to me being the one who's saying you can open it up. You could do anything you want. You can, you know, so I've had student dis- dissertations where it's fiction, you know, there's a lot of that now. Um, semi fiction, you know, becoming, writing about yourself as three different characters in this fictional account, you know, got a dissertation like that. Just a lot of interrogation of assumptions all the way through. But boy, it's, I don't know if you find this. I have found over the many years, in the beginning, just a lot of resistance to it, you know, and it doesn't help that the Office of Doctoral Studies at Teachers College, you know, has this humongous booklet on writing a dissertation and what must be included, and uh, and I say, well, we just ignore that, you know. We're going to make it up, <laughs>
0: make uh, it up as we go along. <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> and, you know, they look at me and they're terrified. It's like it's okay. My students graduate, and um, but just I, I, you know, I look back and I think how lucky I was to have Paul and Dawn basically say that to me, and I remember my own resistances. I remember in fact my terror about oh my gosh this dissertation isn't it, it isn't okay it doesn't have certain components it's so yeah. i don't know if you find that but i well I you put
0: that pressure on yourself when you of- see um your mentors or your uh, like your supervisor at the time the the way in which they can be they articulate their thinking and the 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 aesthetics of the writing as well and colleagues too like I think like mm-hmm. you know you have you have grad fellow grad students like Brian Casemore and Laura Jewett and the just the poetics of their writing and the way in which they're able to articulate mm-hmm. with the detailed and description it's just yeah it becomes very <laughs> intimidating <laughs> when you sit down but I think I think it, to kind of recognize and come back like you said to your students I try To encourage students like we all have different voices and different ways of sharing the story and so the importance is the story that you're trying to share and how you share that not to compare to the ways in which others share their stories so you're trying to find your own writing voice and I I guess it comes back to that piece around self-concept in relation to uh, you know if we want to call it an education uh, educational researcher in the making and a curriculum theorist in the making to find your own way to, and to to doing that and, and and the way in which you want to share your stories and for me uh, much of that is included autobiographical writing and I know I asked you this earlier and I just wanted to come back to it is like so you transition from the, those pieces and the work that you did as a doctoral student but then you know over uh, why I, I I always come back to your work is to try to to learn more about different ways of thinking about autobiographical writing. And I'm just wondering now, like I know you have that project that you're trying to finish up and then you have you know, people that are assembling a collection speaking to your work and you have the sounds of silence breaking which is a collection, you, collection of, of, of your prior works as well. And I just, where, where is autobiographical writing for you now or autobiographical mm-hmm. uh, writing as research or autobiographical writing as curriculum theorizing I'm just wondering how you're thinking about that uh, in this current moment in time in relation to the past work that you've done.
1: I think I've become more convinced than ever that post-structural feminists did a a terrific job of pointing out ways in which um, language constructs us, right? (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, all of the, you know, post-structural insights into... Yeah. Into language, into discourses, into the power of that to absolutely construct reified, solidified versions of ourselves. Uh, and I think in education that pressure is extensive in terms of like whether you're talking about student teachers and what they're going to face in a junior, mil- for me, middle school or high school classroom and the, the reifications around all of that in terms of what what constitutes a good student teacher, right? Because they're evaluated on the on these, re, excuse me, ridiculous, oftentimes, uh, or or mandates like in in the U.S. Have you heard of EdTPA?
0: Yeah, okay. yeah I know. Uh, uh Christine uh, Iber did her uh, PhD right. on yeah. that, right? And how it, how it, yeah. how it, how it, it it dampens. Well, her study was to look at what the impacts on critical thinking, like. Yeah, Can yeah. critical thinking take place with the DPA?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> humongous. And, yeah. I mean, the ironies are, are so ridiculous. It's um, one of the criteria criteria uh, is that you must film yourself teaching in front of a group of students. Well, in New York City, no parent will sign off on that because you have to have parental permission to allow mm. your student, you know, your your child, uh, to be filmed, and so. I student teachers who had to stand in front of an empty classroom. And the, the goal for this particular exercise was to show student engagement with your teaching. <laughs> so it's an empty classroom. How, you know, anyway, it's just insane. So how do you, you know, how do you begin to think about what autobiographical work could contribute to the dismantling of such absurd situations such as that. I'm still I'm still convinced by the post structural theorists and talking about discourses and language and how that constructs us as much as we construct ourselves. And I would add, you know, and that's constantly shifting and changing. I feel that in myself and so that still resonates with me in terms of theoretical orientation now what's also happening of course in the u.s um so i'm curious if it's it's as big a thing as it is now in the u.s are you know the new materialisms and fx theories uh you know i'm particularly drawn to donna Haraway, and i always have been since you know i read her for the first time way back when her cyborg uh, is a i think it's just an yeah. incredible metaphor for the fragmentation, you know, the non-unitary nature, the non-fully conscious nature of of the human, non-human, and the relationships between the two, and so on. I think it's especially given the absolute climate crises that we are now living—that we've got one more day to fix it, or we're it, or the Earth is going to be lost. That kind of thing. Yeah. It doesn't
0: seem like the, it seems like one day is so far away because no one's one's rushing.
1: (laughs) But the attention to the non-human, you know, the attention to that, which we are uh, entwined with the entanglements that, you know, Barad talks about all of that, I I think are are really important ideas that are circulating quite, quite strongly Mm -hmm. in the U.S. now.
0: I think I, I went to the Provoking Curriculum Studies Conference at uh, Western University and they are as well in terms of the Canadian Curriculum Studies conversations among some of our colleagues uh, and, and also making the interconnections to uh, for, for different First Nation uh, Métis Inuit scholars that are taking up curriculum as well as looking at from an Indigenous perspective specific to different First Nation scholars that are looking at w- the post-humanism as well in terms of mm. trying to make sense of some of the work that different people are doing. And that that is auto, there is a, there, there are some looking at autobiography as well through that, through those lenses, yeah.
1: So I think Barad says, for example, you know, uh, I, I love her because she does talk about past, future, present, totally always there, always entwined. And so that's another really helpful way to think about, actually, I guess I would say my commitments to, trying to still interrogate the pasts of curriculum studies, it's a very narrow thing I can offer. I don't have any, I'm not saying I have the grasp of the whole field because I certainly do not. Mm -hmm. Uh, So still like the LSU curriculum theory project, I relate to that so much because of, (laughs) because of my work with Bill Piner, especially Bill Dahl. How, how to, take all of that and and to still work in ways that will interrogate that at the same time. And I I think someone like, you know, Karen Barad is helpful that way in terms of her her notion of there's always an autobiographical angle in all of this folks. <laughs> and you know, how can we how can we pay attention to it? with all of these historical threads, uh current threads, future threads all entangled together. So I think that's pretty interesting. work. Well, I think unless I'm I'm it depends on what kind of affect theories. You know, there's sort of two different camps on that. And that's a long discussion we could have about it all. So
0: just one one last uh one last question, uh, Janet. So what uh, what are the you know other than uh, trying to finish up that book that pays a, t- a tribute to the the life work of Maxine green what 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 are your plans for the next few months like uh in life what uh in light of uh, you know we still find ourselves uh, in, d- in different ways within the global pandemic and uh, global conflict but uh but also uh people trying to come back together oh, and uh, gather and meet up so I was just wondering what if you have if you have plans, or you're, there's key things you're doing that you're willing to share with us, what might some of those be? Yeah.
1: I, I think one thing we haven't touched on that has been a, a big influence: the founding of AAACS and IAX, and and the fact that my partner, um, born and bred in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, <laughs> the whole meanings that have been ascribed to international, transnational. Etc. You know, I did write a piece a while back about yeah autobiography and the uh, flows and mobilities of you know internationalization blah blah blah, and I I guess just given my personal situation, uh, it is a it is a, a prime interest to me um, in terms of what how given uh, what I see yes. as the absolutely terrifying situation in the U.S. around not just the rise of white nationalisms, uh, you know, they've been here all along, but the violences and the guns and the, it, it's just almost, it's, it's unbearable. Uh, and how do we address all of that, especially in relation, what, what constitutes the internationalization of curriculum studies In these particular very current times and very dangerous times, and not to say there isn't danger always, you know, in terms of any kind of global perspectives, and it's a it's a really difficult thing to think about. I mean, i've I've learned so much about, and and have had to really uh, interrogate my own assumptions about. Uh, South America, what hemispheric differences <laughs> uh, make it imperative, it seems to me, in, in certain ways, that we not lose sight of, you know, the efforts toward internationalization. Is a conference every three years of IACS enough? It's very difficult. Everyone is so, of course, living in their situated yeah. daily demand context. Uh, And so to think about what might even constitute a notion of internationalization and our autobiography perhaps as a way to interrogate all that is really also of prime interest to me now. And I don't have a clue how to start thinking about it. I find it, uh, especially now with the war in Ukraine, you know north korea and the threats of that uh you know the sudan now i mean it's terrifying we still need to get a a, a huge number of people out of uh, out of afghanistan you know and now sudan i mean it's just it's overwhelming uh
0: i know anyway. i haven't been to uh i think the last one i went to was uh, the one in rio and we're i would love to have beth on uh conversation Uh, so I'll have to reach out to her is yeah and 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 as you said like in terms of populist movements it's a global it's been it is a global phenomenon that's taken place in several different countries including Canada Mm -hmm. Um, I Mm -hmm. I, the same Mm -hmm. thing I'm the current politicians uh, here in Canada that are leading the different uh, federal parties are my age my generation and it's so depressing like I can't come I'm like what would I do differently, or how hard is the job? That's one thing, but the vision and the the the, the, the squabbling amongst themselves to to try to satisfy like extreme yeah. bases to just get reelected to the next election, as opposed to trying to lead uh, citizens to do something more productive, uh, not pro- not productive in the sense of productivity, oh, yeah. but just uh, a different way of relating to each other in the world. Uh, and uh, and yeah and mm-hmm. i don't know like i'm trying to think in this way you know coming back to what i asked you in relation to the importance of historical context i'm always thinking like was this the kind of international context before world war one and world war two that that in that the countries found themselves before everything yeah. broke out in which they committed to never happening yeah. again and i you know to not to, to not experience that yeah. intergenerational Uh, intergenerationally or to be the uh, some uh, a distance now intergenerationally from that for me that's where what would like what can we learn from the past in relation to uh, try to understand the present moment yeah yeah yeah, i
1: think super important beautifully articulated and i'm uh, you know you're describing a certain sense in canada of a of a replication is a similar thing as as happening here in terms of the, I'll just. I have to maintain <laughs> my composure here around the Republican Party here and the the Trumpism and oh, the silencing. You've heard about the trans woman who was silenced in I forget what state she lives in Idaho, I believe. Uh, it's it's horrifying. I mean, it's absolutely horrifying. It is it is uh, such a blatant. Uh, racist misogynist I mean it's just
0: awful no it's taking it's taking place here in Canada as well Uh, just I mean to
1: that extent I mean what you're describing to me sounds like yes it is to that extent there too and well we uh, had
0: the we had the um the freedom convoy in Ottawa that shut that down the downtown core for quite a quite a period of time and they had to declare a national emergency and then yes uh, yes I knew right. now
1: yeah, yeah. yeah so
0: and then you had the January 6th so there's mm-hmm. yeah and I mean again it wasn't just in Canada United States there was it would happen in Brazil there's uh, when I was in oh, Mexico yeah. earlier this year it was taking place there it's happening over in different parts of uh, Europe as well and, well yeah. Europe and and you see the conflict in in yeah. Europe so Janet, I think they're, they're, the work that you've done and the work that others are doing in the field of curriculum studies at least brings some hope that we're pushing for trying to reimagine. not a re, I, like, I, I don't even know. Do we need to reimagine or do we just need to, to be better as human beings with each other and in relation to the more than human world? Uh, but I want to thank you for taking the time to sit with me this afternoon on after Conversation to talk about some of your works and your ideas, and uh, I'm hoping in the near future we get to see each other in person. Um, thanks so much for coming on
1: uh, to I our show. Well, I, I'm, I'm really honoured to be a part of your podcast, and I, I loved our conversation. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Thank you.